Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru for episode 247 of the show. Uh, We've had a little bit of a hiatus here. I haven't podcasted in... A number of weeks uh, due to some scheduling conflicts and whatnot, but um, we are back in your eardrums now. Keaton, how are you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. Ready to talk socks with you, man. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so let's get right to it. We just have a complete monster of an agenda today and lots of questions and lots of good stuff to talk about. Um, but the the biggest story here is what the Red Sox have done over the last couple of months and especially here in June where they've just played ridiculously well. Um, This team was at one point uh, in the season, last place, even behind the Orioles in the division. Uh, I remember that uh, because I was really embarrassed for the Red Sox uh, for for being in that position in the first place. Um, But now they find themselves, you know, battling for, second place uh, in the division. They did work their way up to second place. They are now uh, just a half game behind the Blue Jays as we are podcasting this in the middle of the game. So, you know, if they win this one, uh, they'll be a half game ahead of the Blue Jays. So, uh, it you know, they, they could still be in second place by the time you're listening to this. But anyhow, the turnaround has been remarkable. Um, and, and there's a lot of reasons for this. But I think... Um, one of the better Twitter accounts to follow uh, for for Red Sox stats is um, 
uh, Sox Notes, J.P. Long's account. Uh, and he had a really good tweet on the 25th. So obviously these stats are a little bit out of date at this point. But he said uh, this was when the Red Sox finally got into second place. Their second place in the AL East. Season high, 10 games above 500. Uh, they own the MLB's longest active win streak. It, it was six at the time, but it got to seven at that point. They were 18-4 at one point in June. They actually stretched that to uh, 19-4 before dropping these two games to Toronto. Uh, so 19-6. and six. Um, And 31-12 and 12 since May 10th. And they've won seven consecutive series, 11-1-2 in their last 14 series. Uh, they've just been playing unbelievable baseball uh, for the last really – couple of months at this point what do you attribute it to what's the biggest change in your opinion from where they started in the doldrums of sort of the the the, the dregs of the AL East how did they work their way to this point well I think the biggest change is the offense finally started clicking which we all kind of knew was going to happen we were waiting for that to happen and once that did we knew they were going to start winning games and that's exactly what happened but another big piece of the pie is the starting pitching. Um, since the, um, I think the middle of May, uh, they've been the best starting pitching in the American League, nearly the best starting pitching in all of baseball, uh, and they have given the Red Sox a chance. <clears throat> excuse me, given the Red Sox offense a chance to go out and take every single game and win every single series, like you just pointed out uh, over that fourteen series stretch. Um, and it really kind of was the combination of those two where the offense woke up. We had that stretch from Trevor Story where he had like eight homers in four games, was on a uh, killer streak there. Franchi had his run there at the bottom of the order. Uh, JBJ was on a bit of a run there. I was hitting like 340 at Fenway during one of those home stretch, home stints. Uh, everything in the offense was really clicking, coupled with the – starting pitching, mowing everybody down, and has, which has continued to, to happen here. Uh, and this is basically they just started living up to the expectations, that performing at the level we expected them to from the beginning of the season. It's just They just took a month to get going, and here they are. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and the part that I'm surprised by is that the pitching has been as good as it has been. Um, another tweet from that same account uh, one day later on the 26th uh, had the ERA of the team uh, Yankees best in the league at 2.94 Astros next at 3.05 Rays predictably uh, up there as well 3.18 but the Red Sox at 3.54 is the thing that I didn't expect I didn't expect this pitching staff to be this good certainly didn't expect uh, Nick Pavetta to be pitching at what looks like to be an all-star level uh, for as long as he has been. Um, and especially, I didn't expect that with all of the injuries that they've had to weather over this past month as well and in the pitching staff, that they would be able to sort of uh, continue to keep their heads above water like they have. So guys like Winkowski have stepped up tremendously and um, you know carried the load here. And the fact that Waka has continued this, and I know that Waka is somebody you've been a big believer in, uh, throughout this season, and rightfully so, you know all of these guys. Um, well, well, Eovaldi's been down, and well, Whitlock's been down. Uh, just carrying the load here for the Red Sox has been pretty incredible. But 
like you said, with this offense, I mean, we, b- before the season, we were talking about this as potentially the best offense uh, in, in the American League. I thought it was going to be close to the best, or if not the best. Um, and they're second to the Yankees right now in terms of runs scored. Uh, and honestly, I'd still take the Red Sox offense over the Yankees offense at this point. But, you know, Judge is playing incredibly well. But, um, yeah, I mean, what about the the bullpen, though? Because that's still the biggest question here, I think. And, and the team ERA definitely counts the bullpen. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think if there's a question mark on this team – it still looks like it's in the bullpen to me. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And they, they do need some help, but they're starting to figure out the roles. Um, you know, this Toronto series aside, Tanner Houck is the closer. Uh, Schreiber living it up is the bridge there, is the, kind of like the eighth inning, um, second high leverage guy. That tandem has been pretty lethal. And then figuring out your matchups in between to get to those two has been pretty pretty effective. Um, it took a really long time for the bullpen to figure themselves out and to get to this point, and it looks like they're going to get some more help here when Whitlock returns. Cora has said that, um, that he's going to return to the bullpen when he comes back, um, which means he's probably going to be the closer. Uh, and then Hauk and Schreiber will be your seventh and eighth inning guys. And having those three guys there at the back I think solves a lot of the problems that we're having. Hansa Robles just can't get it done. He's got an ERA over eight in the ninth inning this year. Um, he's just not the guy. He can't fill in. He can't get it done. Um, there's just not enough options for those high leverage innings uh, unless you have those guys there. Um, and whether it's you know choice of vaccination or um, injuries, you need to be prepared. So they, they still need to add to that. It's still the biggest question. And um, I think having Whitlock moved back into the pen is certainly going to help because that's absolutely where the biggest hole on this roster is right now. Um, but I don't think that's the – they still need more help. It's it's going to be a big boost, but it's still, I still think they need somebody else back there. Yeah, so I mean, who who ends up being in the starting rotation at that point? If they if they're not going to bring Whitlock back to the starting rotation, so it's going to be Pavetta, Winkowski, Hill, Waka. Who who else is going to be in that rotation? Because that's only four guys. I mean, are yeah. we expecting that Eovaldi is going to make make that start? Like, if he's going to come back, he's going to fill in right there, and, and Whitlock's going to be the closer. Is that worth thinking? Yeah, I think that's what they're thinking. That um, if all they can't be far behind. Yeah, that makes sense. That that definitely makes sense to me. I think Evaldi definitely fits in there, and I think uh, that Whitlock solidifying things at the back end of that bullpen makes a lot of sense. I also like him better as a closer than Tanner Hoke, and I also think that. Tanner Houck really doesn't deserve that role at this point, in my opinion, um, because of his refusal to get this vaccination and the fact that he hasn't traveled with the team uh, to Toronto. I think that's super annoying, and especially when you look at the other teams who the Red Sox are competing against for the division right now. The Yankees are 
far ahead, their entire team is vaccinated. The Blue Jays, it stands to reason, since they're in Canada, their entire team is vaccinated. So the Red Sox really need to kind of have all hands on deck here. And and you had an interesting quote uh, that you you brought up from, from Alex Cora about the team's vaccination status. So I wanted you to uh, read that if you could. Yeah. Um, so talking today about obviously what transpired last night where the Red Sox uh, had the lead going into the ninth uh, and blew the save rightly. I think a lot of folks felt that it – had Tanner Houck been on the roster, the outcome of that game would have been different. So uh, today, Cora got a bunch of questions about that. Uh, and his response was, uh, talk to the players. Whenever I talk to them, respect their decisions at the end of the day. The Blue Jays are a great example. They didn't make excuses last year when they played in Dunedin, Buffalo, and Toronto. I'm not going to make excuses. You give me 26 guys, we'll do our best to get 27 outs and win. It's not perfect, right? We all know that at the end of the day. It is what it is. We're going to keep moving forward. Um and then he said, we, uh, we still talk. Um, we still, we'll see. I believe when we come in September, it's going to be different. That's the next time the Red Sox return to Toronto. Uh, asked to expand on that uh, and asked if that was believing there'll be a change in Canada's policy. He said, uh, no, um, I do believe for September it's going to change from our end. Uh, let's leave it at that. I bet you a dollar is going to change. So it sounds like he's pretty confident that folks that um, have not been vaccinated, I mean, at, at least somebody, one person who uh, has not been vaccinated, that status is going to change for that return trip to Toronto. Yeah, I really wonder, too, how this is going to impact uh, some of these guys long term with the team. You know, Jared Duran, um, Tanner Houck, especially as two young players trying to establish themselves in the major leagues. Um you know, Duran has looked like a much different, better player since he's come up here uh, this this second time and really uh, settled into that leadoff role. And I think the team is better with him on it. And no doubt, Tanner Houck is a much needed uh, late inning arm in the bullpen as well. But I mean, I wonder if the Red Sox are going to be a lot more willing uh, to put those guys into a deal. Um, you know, maybe those are two pieces that go in a deal to the Pirates for uh, closer David Bednar and um, the outfielder we like, Brian Reynolds, who hit three home runs today, by the way. Um, yeah. You know, maybe maybe that is also on the table uh, for those young players. I don't think Chris Sale is going anywhere. Hopefully Chris Sale, you know, comes to his senses and gets vaccinated. But, you know. What are your thoughts on on how can Duran as potential trade chips because of this reason? I mean, it would certainly affect a team like Pittsburgh less since they don't play in a division with a team uh, from Canada. Yeah, I mean, this is it's not going to go away. Like it's it's going to be a requirement in Canada for a while, uh, and a lot of people it just I don't know call it poetic if you will, whatever whatever word you want to use, but. Um, after the blown save last night, then the play up, playoff matchups lined up that the Red Sox would have to travel to Toronto for the first round of the playoffs <laughs> after the blown save. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, Perfect. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing. Is these two teams are really good. They're probably going to play in the playoffs. And whether you have home field advantage or Toronto has home field advantage, it's going to be a portion of that series that you're going to be without your best players. How are you going to go into a playoff series 
without Chris Sale and Tanner Houck and Jaron Duran like, and try and win playoff games. If that's holding your team back, then yeah, I would say, I mean, like you pointed out, Chris Sale is probably not going to go anywhere. But the other two, yeah, I would probably think about moving them because that's not allowing you to put your best team on the field um, for reasons that are within their control. Yeah, I'm with that as well. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. There was actually uh, an athletic article. Uh, Chad Jennings uh, sat down with uh, their their guy there, uh, Jim Bowden, who, who makes all the, the trade scenarios there. And they had one for the guys we were talking about. So it was uh, Bednar and Reynolds. And he suggested... Duran, Dahlbeck, Brian Bayo, and Jeter Downs uh, for Reynolds and Bednar. Would you make that deal? Uh, I was typing. I missed the first part of it. Jaron Duran, Bobby Dahlbeck, Brian Bayo, and Jeter Downs for Reynolds and Bednar. Yeah, I would do that. I would do that too. Uh, Would you substitute in if it was... Because this was his other proposal, saying that they might need a little bit more. Duran, Dahlbeck, Bayo, and York. Hmm. Bayo and York is a lot. Bayo and York is a lot. But Reynolds is an all-star with a lot of control. And Bednar is probably an all-star. Who fills a immediate need on your team as well, and also with a lot of control. Yeah. yeah. Oof. Um, that one is a little bit more difficult to swallow in the moment, but probably you know, given time to recover, I would probably be okay. Yeah, I would almost be more okay with like doing an. I don't know. Even a couple extra guys who are not quite as good, maybe like an Edison Paulino or something like that, who's who's really good but not quite at the the level of uh, Nick York. Um, in addition to to the guys we already named, because I think it is a lot to part with with Bayo. Uh, I'm not too concerned about Downs in that deal or Dahlbeck, but Jaron Duran and Bayo is a, a pretty pretty big return there so yeah i i think it's it's probably realistic to be somewhere close to that if they do do it but the fact that it's being talked about ensures that it will not happen so you know yeah the other piece too is um the yankees are showing you up here with the vaccines because they also had a bunch of players and key players like i think judge and rizzo were two that were unvaccinated coming into the season and they opened the year like in toronto uh, and they got their entire team vaccinated so everybody could go to Toronto and play. Yeah. And it's kind of embarrassing that the Red Sox are still here with Sale, Duran, Hauk, key members of the team here lagging behind. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's disappointing. Uh, and it's been a, a theme for a long time. So hopefully, uh, you know, they can get that figured out or ship these guys out and off the team. That would be totally fine with me. Um Chris Sale, though, as we mentioned, is not going anywhere. Chris Sale has started a rehab assignment, which is very exciting here. Um, 
because Chris Sale is a very good pitcher, even if he wants to do his own research on vaccines. Um, and he had his second start the Florida Complex League. He pitched two and two-thirds innings, gave up three hits, zero earned runs, six strikeouts, uh, and uh, the account Boston Strong thinks he might be up to Portland next to continue this rehab assignment. Uh, Cora says he wants him as a starter. Uh, how would you work um, Sale into that current rotation? Who would be the odd man out uh, considering – we just kind of outlined a, a five-man rotation without Whitlock, but with Ivaldi. Would it be Rich Hill that gets kicked out of the rotation at that point for you? Yeah, I think it would. Um, I mean, I think you've got two candidates, right? It'd be Hill and Winkowski at that point, or are we assuming Winkowski's out to replace? No, I guess it it could be Winkowski though, because if. I think the way we were thinking of it before was that uh, Whitlock would be going back to the rotation. So if he ends up going back there, there. it's got to be Winkowski unless the doors just really, you know, start falling off of uh, the 42-year-old bus that is Rich Hill. Yeah, I think the thing to consider is you would be moving Hill to the pen. Or you could send Winkowski down to AAA to continue to get use as a starter. Or you could put Winkowski in the pen and he could be another leverage arm for you. I know you really want to do that. I do. I really (laughs) want to do that. Because realistically, Rich Hill is going to be garbage out of the pen he his stuff right will not i don't play feel great about pen. that <laughs> yeah it's it's not a thing that's gonna work right so i think it's you gotta and i don't really want an arm like winkowski sitting around at triple a when he could easily replace hansel robles or tyler danish or ryan freaking brazier who is actually <laughs> will pitching not okay. go away. Yeah, he, he will not go away. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a problem. But yeah, I I think he would fit a lot better into that mix. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, at that point, do you think it would be worth just saying? You know, thanks for the innings, Rich. We'll see you later. The old Rich Hill DFA. Yeah. Um, or do you? Would you really not want Winkowski to even continue to get, you know, major league starts? Would you really want to move him to the pen that bad? I think I do really want to move him to the pen that bad because looking at his innings totals in 2021, he pitched uh, 112 innings. And so right now, at this juncture of the season, he's already at 62 and two-thirds innings between AAA uh, and MLB uh, level. So I think that if he – let's just say he makes, I don't know, four or five more starts here – before everybody's healthy and this actually comes to fruition. Um, I think he'll still surpass his innings total from last year. 
even with a move to the pen. Yeah, probably would. Yeah. Get pretty darn close to it. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I think his stuff would play up in that role. I guess that's why I'm so interested. I love a fastball slider guy, uh, especially a big boy like he is. You know, he's a he's 6'4", 200 pounds. He's actually... 200 pounds is a joke. He looks like he's way more than 200 pounds. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a big dude. All right. Let's move on to our next uh, question or talking point here. Um, since we last spoke, and this was sort of buried because, you know, we weren't on for a couple weeks and also the Red Sox were just rattling off wins. Uh, Jonathan Arauz was claimed off of waivers by the Orioles. Um, just wanted to note that there because he was a good rule five pick find uh, by Heim Bloom. Uh, any particular worry about that loss or is this, you know, just whatever at this point? Yeah, I mean, I liked him a little bit more than just whatever, but yeah, I mean, they got plenty of guys to fill that role. Yeah, pretty fungible. Uh, depth at this point um next question or comment geez i haven't podcasted in a while um (laughs) anyhow next uh on our agenda here is uh jackie bradley jr so you know noted before we came on this show that jackie is in an 04 what was it 24 over 24 slump this point yeah and he has a wrc plus of 57 and a negative four negative 0.4 wow negative four would be incredible uh (laughs) negative 0.4 war um he's definitely better than he was last year but that's still a slash line of 211 263 301 uh he's not really playing uh, the offensive side of the baseball at a major league level and his defense has not been you know what it was when Jackie was in his prime let's just say that it's been totally fine I'm not criticizing his defense whatsoever still like his defense but with Kike Hernandez coming back and with Jaron Duran playing so well is a Jackie Bradley Jr. DFA coming I don't think so yet. Um, I also think that his best role is as a fourth outfielder on the bench, late inning, defensive replacement. I feel like I say that every single time we podcast. And this is just more proof of that. Give Duran the at-bats and late and close ball games, swap him out for six outs. Do you think there'd be any interest in him as a trade chip from anybody, or is it, it's None. just it's got to be a DFA, right? If yeah, if he doesn't move to that bench role like you were talking about, yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know why anybody would, unless you did what the Red Sox did to get him from Milwaukee, and you tied him to two prospects, and we're just like, can you please take him? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, other news here, uh, Red Sox acquired pitcher James Norwood from the Phillies for cash. Only a DFA to call up Jeter Downs. Um, 
Any thoughts on either the Norwood acquisition, whom we didn't even see, or uh, the fact that Jeter Downs going to call up to the big leagues? Yeah, I was kind of surprised um, with Downs because he wasn't doing super hot uh, at AAA. Um, but I guess um, that's just kind of one of those another one of those infield guys that they just have. A whole bunch of depth for. Um, I don't. He's not even. He's not still with them. I don't even remember what happened to him. That's. <laughs> we saw him for a game, right? He got one start um, on a Wednesday. Yeah, he, he actually started at third base. Um, right for Rafael Devers. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, I don't, it was I, apparently it was so unspectacular. I don't even remember what he did. I just remember it was on a Wednesday. Yep. Yeah, not a lot going on with that. Um, Jeter Downs still not having an overly impressive uh, season at AAA right now. A um, couple other guys we should note. Uh, Cutter Crawford came back, made one good start, one bad start, and then was sent down again. Um, and Connor Siebold made his season debut with the Red Sox um, and was absolutely lit up um, by the Blue Jays. But did you see anything you liked? From Connor Seabold, uh, despite being lit up, was there any anything different that you saw with him uh, versus you know previous times you've seen Connor Seabold? Yeah, I mean this was a real tough spot facing the Blue Jays' offense in Toronto, uh, which is a pretty hitter friendly park for your major league debut. That's not easy. And this, I mean, the length in this lineup is absurd. There's not really any easy outs. There's, you, know, you don't get a chance to take a break and collect yourself. It's kind of a lot to ask going through your first time. Um, so I kind of wasn't expecting a whole lot. And honestly, I was surprised that he lasted as long as he did. Um, he got hit with, uh, like, the Chapman homer that he hit off of him was off of, like, an eye-level fastball that I, I was – kind of surprised Chapman hit out. Uh, I mean, it was elevated kind of in his wheelhouse, but it was more elevated than you would have kind of expected to go out for a homer. thought he kind of reached and pop, got him to pop up, but then it just kind of kept going and going and going and just didn't stop. <laughs> and so I, I don't think he necessarily did pitch to poorly necessarily because I thought his stuff looked okay. It was I think it was more of just – it was a really difficult lineup and spot to come into to get your first taste of major league batters. That wasn't easy. I mean, he got he struck out Vladimir Guerrero Jr. on an awesome slider in his first at bat, and Vlad came back in his second at bat, having seen him once and took him deep in his second at bat. So it's kind of like, okay, he's a really freaking good hitter. <laughs> you got him once, and then he got you. So yeah, I was I was definitely. Um happier with this stuff and, and i think the line like definitely didn't do him any favors like you mentioned the three home runs seven earned runs seems like you just go went out there and threw meatballs but the seven strikeouts of a good lineup i think that was yeah was kind of impressive i still don't know exactly what his role is you know like long term like for for Connor Seabold, because I think his fastball is such a fringy pitch that I don't know if it's going to really play at the major league level. But I think that he has 
really good secondaries that do play at the major league level. So it's going to be interesting to see. I wonder if he becomes a trade chip for them at some point too. Maybe better fit in a big ballpark or something like that where there's a little bit more leeway for him as a starter. But uh, apparently David Price was also impressed and texted Cora about that. So with Connor Seabold. Cool. Yeah, I guess they text still. Um, all right. Moving on here. Um, Brian Bayo. I want to talk about Brian Bayo for a second here. So we mentioned that he's just been shoving at AAA. Uh, we've talked about him in the last couple of podcasts that we've done. I wanted to know if you saw him strike out your boy at rehabbing Eloy Jimenez at AAA. I did see that. That was filthy. That changeup that Brian Bayo has is an insane pitch. Yeah, he's very good. I'm he says really his goal is to make the big leagues this year. Do you think he will? Why not? I mean, if he keeps going the way he's going, they're not going to have a choice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I think uh, in, unless he does get traded, I, I think he's definitely going to come up at some point in the year. Um, hopefully we get to see him for maybe a start or two before he does move to the bullpen. But, you know, there's a lot of options here uh, for the Red Sox. About for the time. Yeah, I know. It's just kind of crazy. You know, we've been talking about how they've been able to weather all these different injuries to the starting rotation and – Fine guys like Schreiber um, and Strom and Diekman have been pretty good. Um, you know, Diekman somehow has a lower ERA than Strom at this point. But you, you still have your, your fungible guys like Robles and Danish and Sawamura, who has a much better ERA than people would expect. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of other options looming uh to, to put in that bullpen, but I still think they need somebody else. I don't know. What are you? You yes. you yeah. Still add. Okay. Good. Um. All right. Let's get to some listener questions. We have a lot. Heck yeah. All right. Our first one. Here it is. It comes from Esso, and he says, "Name a closer we should go after." All of them. All of them. Bednar's um, a good one. Let's go there. Bednar's a good one. Uh, we did a way too early trade targets episode like two weeks ago. Um, and the guy who I wanted the most out of that was David Robertson um, from the Cubs, who are actually coming into town. Uh, as you are probably listening to this, they are coming in next. Or, no, we're going All there. Way around. So they're yeah. coming to see me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Red Sox are going to see David Robertson, and they should just take him back on the flight uh, with them. Makes a ton of sense. He's a nasty closer with great stuff and will not be expensive because he doesn't have a lot of control. So, yeah. Next question comes from Ari. And he says, what are your thoughts on Josh Bell as a deadline addition? Obviously, RP is our area, 
of most need, but solidifying first base with a switch hitter who is a natural athlete at the position would be huge. Uh, big time agree with that because um, I saw Bobby Dalbeck make just another horrendous stretch to the ball, I don't know, two days ago. Um, <laughs> and he's just not good at first base. Even Cordero's better than him at first base, and neither of them are natural first basemen. So, yes. Um, it makes me appreciate first base defense a whole hell of a lot more. But then he follows up and he asks, what type of package would it take to get him? And who would you be willing to give up? I know that you've been a big bell guy here. So what do you think about this idea? Yeah. Um, he's having a really good season. Uh, and he's still, he's not particularly old. So it would kind of take a lot. Um, they would want, they, I mean, they would ask for at least one of, like, the top four in return. And we would probably say no. And then we'd probably work out something where... Actually, Duran might not be a bad piece to go back in that deal. There's a headliner with some other pieces. But they're probably going to want, like, a York or a Meyer or a Bayo. I don't think they will. Only because uh, he's only got half a year of control left at this point. He's going to be a free agent in 2023. And I think that changes things quite a bit for him. Yeah, that could. I think it could be cheaper than you'd think. Right. But um, Mike Rizzo, the GM of the Nationals, is really good at this whole trading thing. So I think whatever you give up will probably be a little bit more than people think, but I could see something around like what they uh, gave up to get uh, Kyle Schwarber last year. They gave up a, you know, a really good pitcher and Aldo Ramirez um, and that deal really worked out for the Red Sox. So I think something that's, like that would be great. That's actually, that's probably a great framework. Something very similar to that. You're right. That's probably good. I thought um, Bell had three years left on his deal, which was not true. So you're right. What about um, talking about somebody in that vein? What about something like um, Brendan Walter or Connor Siebold or... Cutter Crawford or Chris Murphy or someone like that for uh, Bell? Um, potentially. I'd be fine with any of those, honestly. Well, I would. As... I'm just wondering if they would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, maybe if they're only... Losing out on a couple months of Bell. Yeah, probably. Yeah. That's not, not bad. Um, pretty realistic, though. Uh, those teams have done business in the past, so I do really like that idea quite a bit. How much uh, more to just add on Soto is throwing? <laughs> Take all the prospects. Fine. Yeah. Uh, TJ McPhee has our next question here. He says, what are your thoughts on possibly adding to the rotation? Can we really rely on sale? Uh, coming back, probably not. Uh, never mind Evaldi and Whitlock, who seem to be taking a while for vague reasons. 
could and should we be in play for Castillo? Uh, and he's talking about the ace of the Reds, Luis Castillo. Um, do you think they need to add more starting pitching, first and foremost? I don't think it's a priority like it has been in the past, but I wouldn't say no because I feel like you can never have too much of that depth, especially with the injury history of the guys that we have had here. Um you know, even though we've had some recent success, but like Evaldi kind of like on and off with his issues. Sale obviously has been going like two years, hasn't been healthy. Whatever they're going to get out of Paxton coming back. Um, Hill getting up there with a bunch of miles on himself. I just kind of rather not play with fire. So I don't think it should be a priority, but I wouldn't mind some more depth. So I don't know if they're going to be in play for some of the top names, but maybe like a a Bloom special here of some of these guys that are like mid-tier trade targets at the deadline. Adding one of those, I can see that. Yeah, it's hard to think that you're going to be able to compete with a package that a more desperate team than you would be able to put together for somebody like Luis Castillo. Um, I think it would take a prospect of the Tristan Casas, uh, or, uh, mayor, uh, that type of like level of guy, somebody who would be very uncomfortable, uh, to give up. Uh, and, and I don't really want to do that because we, like you said, Keaton, I mean, we really just don't need starting pitching. So yeah. Less less than that, I think. All right, we have uh, four questions here from our uh, great listener, a great big lark who always asks good questions. So shout out to you. He says, oh, somehow I have these in the wrong order. But anyhow, uh, if Kike remains cold when he comes back, what do you think about an outfield of Duran, JBJ, in Verdugo, moving JBJ to center field with Kike becoming a utility guy. Uh, how well does Duran need to hit to make up for his below average defense? Well, this is funny because um, obviously this was a question that was left over because he's actually followed that up, Mr. Lark, uh, with another question that says, uh, when Kike comes back, is it time to finally say goodbye to JBJ? It seems like with Duran, Arroyo, and Rough Snyder, JBJ's value is diminishing. I agree (laughs) to the second part. Um, Yeah, I I think Kike is really good. I think Kike is a better defender than JBJ in center field at this point. Yeah, and And also how well does Duran need to hit to make up for his below average defense? Exactly what he's doing now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He still makes horrendous reads. Like, you can tell how much his reads freak out the other outfielders, too. Like, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but I think it was, like, maybe two days ago. Rob Refsnyder, like, came right right to where the ball was hit on, like, a pretty routine ball just because he saw the route that Duran had taken to the ball and was like, ooh, uh, I got to go help. That happens a lot to him. It's just not good. Hey, man, they don't ask how pretty. They just ask how. 
Yeah, uh, he's he's pretty much the opposite of the silky smoothness of Prime JBJ out there. He's uh, making up for it with raw speed. Um, yeah. Next question from Great Big Lark says: Do you think Pavetta is just on a hot streak, or do you think he figured something out and could be a solid top of the rotation guy the rest of the season in future seasons? If you had to bet, what do you think his ERA will be the rest of the season? <clears throat> That's a, a really interesting question. Yeah, I mean, he seems like a completely different guy. Um, you know, I have not been a fan, and I've referred to him many times as Poop Veta because I just uh, never believed. But what he's doing this year is just—he has never done in his career, and I really, I do believe that he has figured something out because he has never been this good at any point in his career ever. Uh, so either Major League Baseball did something to the balls that just works perfectly for Pavetta, uh, but then you kind of wonder why wouldn't that have worked for his first four starts? Or, I mean, we have like specific quotes from him when he's like, hey, I don't feel right. I'm still working through some stuff. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, I figured it out. And then he's been like this ever since. So, yeah, I tend to believe him. that He figured something out. And this is kind of who he is. So uh, I'm buying it. I'm taking his word for it based on uh, the results that you know, this is who he is. Yeah, I mean, the biggest difference this year has been his fastball and how effective uh, that pitch has been for him. So uh, if you look at pitch values for uh, his fastball, his, his fastball started to be a uh, above-average pitch for him last year with the Red Sox. It graded out as a 3.1, so zero is like completely average, and anything below that uh, is is a negative. And he's negative for his career uh, with his fastball, like significantly negative. He got hammered on it when he was in Philly. But this year it's grading out at a 13.9, uh, which is a tremendously high uh, value for that fastball. So it's not necessarily that the... Uh, velocity is different with that, but the location of where he is throwing his fastball uh, seems to be much better for him uh, this year. And he's certainly not getting hammered with the long ball. His He's only got an 8.7% home run to fly ball rate. Um, so his command's been much more, much more on point with that pitch. I do think he can keep it up. I don't think he can keep it up to this level. Like he's been a, sub two ERA pitcher for like two months now or something. It's been crazy. 2.1. Um, 2.1. Yeah. That is really good. Um, I kind of think he's going to be like a 3.8 ERA pitcher for the remainder of the year. Whoa. That's some crazy regression. That's a two run regression. I'm just saying like the guy has it. So if, if he's if he pitches to a three point eight ERA from this point forward for the rest of the year, he's got a three point two five ERA. What does he end the season at? Probably like a three point six, three point seven. That sounds right to me. I don't think he's a three and a half ERA pitcher. Do you? Man, I can't believe I'm like I'm buying into this. I was gonna say, I thought three. Like 2.753 rest of the year. Wow. Is that banana land? I mean, that would make him one of the best pitchers in the American League. 
That's still a, a regression of nearly a run rest of the year. Yeah. From how he's been the past two months. That's a 50% regression of how he's been the past two months. You're but he's been insane the last regression. two months. He has been. I'm believing it, though. That's weird. You've always been the Pavetta guy. How how have I swung this far? This this whole season, why am I the guy that... This is a weird spot for me to be in. Yeah. Why am I the... All the like, I'm the full-on believer, and you're the... You're the wet blanket this year. It was weird. Yeah, you're freaking me out, man. <laughs> I'm freaking myself out, man. <laughs> well, uh, for if if it helps at all, uh, Skills Interactive ERA has him this year at three point nine two. Um, Rest of the year? Uh, nope, not predictive. Just on what he's done so far. So, what he has deserved, and uh, you know he's got the three point two five. So. Uh, XERA has him at 4.06, so seems that he's getting maybe a, a tad lucky as well. He, he does have he, the 259 BABIP, which is low. Hmm. So Interesting. Some regression becoming for Pavetta, methinks. Yeah. Uh, next one here, it says, uh, 1 to 10 scale, how concerned are you with the upcoming month schedule of primarily above 500 teams uh, with the current bullpen and injury issues uh, as they are? Obviously, they have been playing great lately. Yes, indeed. Uh, but most of those were against sub-500 teams. And uh, he's referring to a stretch uh, coming up that is going to be really tough. I mean, we, we, we're playing the Blue Jays right now, but then uh, at the Cubs, followed by home uh, against Tampa Bay and New York, then on the road against Tampa Bay and New York. Then we have the all-star break. Then we're at home versus the Blue Jays, then playing the Guardians for four at home and the Brewers. It is an absolutely brutal, brutal month of July for the Red Sox. How concerned are you? <clears throat> I mean, I'm not all that concerned because I think that they can hang with every single one of those teams. Um, as long as they have their, you know, their full slate of bullpen options available to them. Um, they, all of the success that you outlined at the top, yeah, there was a bunch of them that happened against sub 500 teams. Um, but there was still some good, um, above 500 teams peppered in there as well. They also took two out of three against division leading Cardinals in there, um, I don't think you can really fault them for, you know, beating the teams that are on their schedule as it's laid out. I know a lot of people are like still not convinced just because the Red Sox beat who they were supposed to beat on the schedule. But if you if you remember back to the beginning of the season, uh, they got their asses kicked in back to back series by Baltimore, uh, and we were all kind of baffled at how that was happening. And then they beat up all the teams that they were supposed to beat up on, and then people are like, "No, nah, I still don't believe it." So, I mean, I feel like at that point, you're just not going to believe it until you get to the end of the season and they're in the playoffs. But, I mean, they should have won last night. They're hanging with Toronto again tonight. No surprise there. They should be able to hang with Tampa in every single game. They should be able to hang with the Yankees in every single game. Um, I don't see any reason why they couldn't come out of this stretch above 500 uh, in second place closer to the Yankees. 
So answering the man's question, Keaton, one to oh, ten. Oh, one to ten. Uh, how worried? Uh, are we assuming ten is worried? Yeah, we'll say ten three. is worried. Wow. Okay. I'm really. Yeah, we have switched places, Keaton. <laughs> uh, I am a seven uh, on the, on a scale of one to ten. So they have 27 games here in in Ju- July. How many of those games do you think they win out of the 27? 17 and 10. 17 and 10. That would be good. Oh, man. I'm going to say they win 14. I'm going to say they play like right about 500 baseball. They should sweep the Cubs, which should give them a big boost there. Yeah. But then, you know, four at the Trop, that's always iffy. I think, you know, Brewers are a really good team. Guardians are a solid team. I don't think they're overly good, but they're solid. And then the Yankees, man, those are going to be tough games. They are. Yeah. I'm a little bit more worried than you. I don't know why. You still picked this team to win more games over the course of the season than I did, but like six more games. You think you had them at like 87 wins? I had them at like 81. Yeah, what the hell's going on, man? <laughs> You've clearly changed. I, th- I feel like you think this is a 95-win team now. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. Maybe something's in the water up here. Yeah. Weird. All right. Last one here from a great big lark. He says, obviously, it is good and important that they won those games. But how will the surprising depth of the team hold up against teams that are better at exploiting holes? Um, I think we kind of covered that here a little bit in our previous discussion. Um, But I mean, I, I think... We kind of saw a little bit of the underbelly of that exposed uh, against Toronto here with, you yep. know, guys like Seabold uh, having to get a start and, you know, without Duran in the lineup, a little bit of a lack of offense. And the the further you have to expose the bullpen, too. I mean, the Tyler Danish for two innings, um, giving up that game, that is another thing. Um, so I, I think it is concerning and it's part of the reason why I'm at a seven and I don't know how Keaton is at a three, but you know, this is, this is where we are these days. This is America. (laughs) (laughs) We also have one more from Mr. Lark. Uh, He says, I threw up a little in my mouth typing these questions out, but at this point, would you rather have. Uh, who would you rather have in the bullpen for the rest of the season, Robles or Barnes? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, neither. <clears throat> yeah. I don't want either one. I think you're in trouble with either one of these guys in the bullpen. A, because I, I don't think Robles is like completely healthy, and Barnes is just a complete mess. So, yep. neither. If that's an option, if I had to choose, uh, I guess Robles, but garbage options. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, Mark Gardner has our next question. He says, hey, the solstice is over as holidays go. What type of holiday excitement 
Are you that Jeter Downs is playing with the Sox opposed to Mookie? <laughs> that seems made for you, Keaton. Um, National Bagel Day. Okay, I think that covers it. Uh, next question comes from Steven, and he says, how about those Pat Patriot retros? Do you hear those are coming back? First time since 2012. The yes, Patriots will be wearing those red red boys. And I still have not seen confirmation if it's just like a one-time thing or if that's their new home jerseys. And I, I really want that to be the new homes. So I, I don't believe it is the new. I don't think it's like replacing the flying Elvis. Uh, Do it, you cowards. Jerseys. Do you really want to bring back that evil on this franchise? They were not good when they wore those jerseys. I don't think it was the jerseys. You think it was uh, the greatest player of all time who solved their issues? And coach. Mm. Why is it going to be either war? Why can't it just be both? Because uh, Bill Belichick's a jerk. <laughs> He's still a really good coach, man. If yeah. you have best coach... And the best quarterback for 20 years. That's a really good combination. I why will say gotta, that. Why has it got to be one or the other? Why can't it just be both? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... I, if I have to assess percentages here, I think it's 80% Brady, 20% Bill. Um, but that's just my thoughts, and we could do a whole separate podcast on that. Um, but I love Please the check jerseys. check out... Um, What's the, oh my God. I Pat's Pulpit. That's the one. Yep. For, for all of your fantastic Patriots needs. Yes, they are good over there. Um, all right. Next question comes from Just a Dude. And he says, do you trust Duran's de- quote unquote research? This fucking guy shaking my head. <laughs> That's a perfect way to end this podcast. No, I don't trust. I wouldn't trust Duran. To uh, correctly microwave a hot pocket for me, uh, he does not come off as a very intelligent human being. So yeah, I'm not trusting anybody uh, who plays baseball for a living to do their research about mRNA vaccines. Sorry. Agreed. Yeah. So thank you for joining us for today's episode. It was a weird one because we had a lot to cover, like two weeks of stuff to cover. But we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we hope you uh, continue to listen to this podcast in the future. We're going to try to be very regular with you, just like an old man on Prudent Juice. Um, Hopefully, every Monday we'll record and uh, get you something out on every Tuesday. So that's what we're going to be aiming for. So thanks for listening, and we'll be with you again next week. Thank you.